2 Peter 3 and 18, it says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you would bless us now as we come before your word. We come before your Holy Spirit. We open our hearts to you. We worship you. We thank you for saving us. You brought each and every one of us into this room for this moment, for a purpose. God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you would have your will done in the message. Father, my goal is not to get through an outline. It's for you to speak through me. God, I can't do that by myself. I can't do it at all. Lord, I yield myself to you and I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help each and every person here. God, I know people in this room are carrying heavy burdens. And I can't help them. Only you can. God, I pray for the ones that are having difficulty in relationships. Pray for the ones who are having difficulty with mental health issues. God, I pray for the ones who are having difficulty in family, perhaps in their career, their job. Lord, perhaps in immigration process and paperwork. Lord, and perhaps in some private struggle that they don't tell people about. Lord, perhaps they're struggling with something that's happened in the past. Lord, I don't know, but I trust you and I know that you know. And I pray today, in the name of Jesus Christ, the truth would be very clear. God, I pray if there's someone here today that's never trusted you as their savior, God, that you would show them their need for a savior, that they would be saved. Lord, help us to grow in grace and then in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Grow in grace. We can grow in grace. We can grow in grace. No matter what's going on in our lives, we can grow. We, it, God does not command us to change. He wants us to grow, okay? He wants us to grow. Grace is undeserved favor, and it must be accepted like a gift. We'll look at those areas in just a moment. But we're going to look at our verse once again, Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can be born into a Christian country, born into a Christian family. We can be born into a Christian circumstances, but we still have to have a day, a time, a moment where we have received the grace of God for ourselves. We have trusted Christ as our Savior. I'm not a Christian because I grew up in a Christian country or because I had a Christian family, Christian mom and dad. I have to be born again. We all have to be born again. The foundation of growing in grace is the new birth, is this being a new creature in Christ. That's the foundation. One of, the, one of the ways that we know that we're saved is we have a desire to grow. We want to grow. We want to be in church. We want to know God. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have competing desires 
to drag us back out into our old life or to try to explore those bad things that we know we probably shouldn't do. That's our sin nature, right? That's our old nature. And we know that that's there, okay? But we also have the new nature. We have this new incredible, the Bible calls it the new man, calls it the divine nature, okay? That we, we have that because we're saved. We've been saved by grace. Saved by grace means I'm not trying to be religious for forgiveness, right? I'm not trying to somehow get act so good in such a way that God will forgive me. No, it is me coming humbly to God saying, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize there is nothing I can do, nothing that I can do to save myself. That's what it means when it's talking about grace. Grace is undeserved favor. And it's not by works. It's not by me trying to do right, getting baptized, coming to church. Those are good things. That doesn't give me forgiveness from God, right? The new birth comes simply by faith. I come to God and I say, I'm a sinner. I deserve judgment for my sin. I deserve that. I have sinned against you. And I believe completely that what Jesus did for me on the cross is sufficient payment to save me and take me to heaven when I die. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number three, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. That's what we're going to celebrate next week according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas. It wasn't just that his grave is empty, guys. He was seen. People saw him. Many people saw him. After he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain into this present, but some are fallen asleep. Okay, it's not just believing in God. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, empty, empty man, of our own selves we're empty, that faith without works is dead. If I have saving faith, right? If I've trusted Christ, that new birth, just like a new baby, right? As soon as they come out, right? They're just screaming and crying. They're hungry. They want to be cared for. They need to be comforted. That, that, that new nature inside of us as believers, it does the same thing. Sometimes people really struggle in Christianity, okay, because they've never actually been saved. They're trying to apply the truths of growing in grace, but they've never been saved by grace. They've never accepted Christ as their Savior. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is I recognize I can't save myself. Whatever I'm doing to make myself forgiven in God's eyes, I'm going to reject that, and I'm only going to accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. That's it. That's what repentance means. It means a change of mind, a change of heart, and now it changes my direction. Right? I recognize what is happening. Next, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What do we need to do to not perish? We need to believe. Believe on what? Believe on what Jesus did. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, last verse. 
Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith. Justified means declared righteous, right? You're clean, you're forgiven. That's what justified means, all right? Justified how? By faith, okay? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm gonna scroll back up to the top and we're gonna look at our virtues that we've been looking at, okay? So now I'm in 2 Peter 1, I'm in chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to start looking at this list and I will finally break the silence on why the tent is sitting in front of us. Okay. So this is how we grow in grace. This is how we grow in grace. All right, verse four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience Godliness and the godliness, brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, charity. Now, this is the same list that we see up on the screen. Okay? Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. Now, my goal today, by God's grace, is to teach you about temperance, patience, and godliness, but we'll see. All right? <clears throat> now, so what we're gonna look, we're gonna look at our verse and we're gonna look at verse number five. Okay, so I'm in Second uh, Peter 1 and verse 5. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith. Add to your faith. And then it gets in there. The attitude or the intention is not slowly, whenever it's convenient. No, no, it's with diligence. With diligence, add to your faith. And then it gets into the the list. We talked about virtue and knowledge last week. Okay, so here is the illustration. For those who are listening in the recording, I'm about to set up a small tent. Okay, this small tent is going to represent our faith. We need to understand that when we get saved, we get faith. It comes in this cute little bag, right? Let me show you the cute little bag, all right? It's like, I just got saved. Hey, well, we need to, in order for it to really do us any good, yes, we have it. Yes, we have it. But But why do I still have fear in my heart? Yes, I've been saved. Yes, I've trusted Christ. Why why do my prayers not seem to be working very well? Why do I still struggle with the old things? Why does it seem, seem like I'm not making much progress? Right? Uh, they have these certain tents. I don't have one. They have certain tents you can buy and you just kind of throw it and it, and it pops open. Have you guys ever seen those before? maybe on TV or something. Uh, It's amazing. Well, listen, your faith is not like that. For your faith to do you any good, you've got to set it up. You've got to add to your faith. Okay, and you've got to do it diligently, which means a consistent effort. Okay, now, do you mind helping me, my brother? Have you set up a tent before? No? Does anybody want to help me? Yes, please. All right, Miss May, come on, help me. All right, she set up a tent. She's a longtime tent camper. Okay, now go on that side there, please. 
Okay, now here's here we go. All right, now I'm gonna put this put this in. Oh, see, see, it's a little messy. There she goes. Now see how she's putting that right there in. She's putting that in there. Okay, and it goes right here. Actually, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna pop this out. I just remembered I forgot one piece. Yeah, we have to put it through this little. We have to put it through. There we go. All right. We have to put it through this here. So, Pastor, this is the weirdest sermon you have ever preached in your life. There we go. Yep. Beautiful. Okay, now pop that little piece in there. Yep. It takes a little work. Now this, again, this is all part of the illustration. You think, oh, yeah, come on, hurry up. Let's, let's get to the next point. No, no, no. Add to your faith. And we have to be diligent, which means we're working together. Okay? That's perfect. All right. Kind of doesn't happen the same week. Okay? Doesn't happen perfectly. All right? There. Just like that. All right, we're going to do this together. Don't, don't let me poke you in the eye. All right. I'm hoping you guys will remember this illustration because it's so different. By the Lord's help. Okay, so put yours in the little pin. You know, so these go up here. I'll get that in just a second. All right. This little pin. All right, see, and there it is. Thank you so much. All right. All right, now this is in the way, and Dennis can't see. Let me move this over. Add to your faith. Okay, now we're going to look at our list, and I'll explain this. Add to your faith virtue. And we, we explained these the last two, so we're not going to go through the detail. We're going to try to do the detail on temperance, patience, godliness. Add to your faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. But when you look at the word add, it means all at once. It doesn't mean... Add first virtue, and then when you're really virtuous, then you begin to add knowledge. And then when you're really knowledgeable and virtuous, then you add temperance. Doesn't mean that. And this is why we brought in the tent. Is because it's got it's got these poles. Okay? And you've got to add all of them at the same time. And that's what makes that's what makes the tent pop up. Add to your faith. Add, the faith is the tenth. Add to your faith virtue. And over here, we've got knowledge. And on the back side, we've got temperance, patience. And then if we took the time, we're not going to do it. We've got a piece that goes over the top. So in case it rains, this part right here, you won't get wet. Right? And we can just build this out. The point we're trying to make is that so many Christians are just trying to work on one of these at a time. Okay? That's not the way Christianity works. 
You've got to work on them all at the same time. And actually what it is by with God's grace, it's God working inside of you in different situations to add all of these and grow these together at the same time. Does that make sense? Okay. It, it's, we, we've got to add them all together. And if I'm not willing to add them, if I'm not willing to add virtue, by virtue, what do we mean by virtue? Virtue means simply this. Wilt thou know that faith without works is dead? We just looked at that verse a moment ago. Virtue is, I have the intention of doing it. Okay, look, if, if I know a little bit about Christianity, but I'm not going to do it, let's just take prayer, for example, for a quick example. I know I'm supposed to pray. I know that prayer is supposed to work. Now, we can dig into the knowledge of prayer, and that's important to learn about it. But what's really important about prayer is doing it. Okay, so when we're talking about adding virtue to our faith, I have faith. I have this faith, but it doesn't seem to be working for me. I know that I'm saved. All this victory that Jesus talks about, how come it doesn't seem to, how could, why, why do I keep on struggling with that same sin? Why do I keep on struggling with that same emotion? Why do I keep on struggling with, with going forward? Why do I keep on struggling with growing? Okay, because you have to add virtue and you have to add knowledge. And that's why we're here today. We're adding, excuse me, we're adding knowledge to our faith. Writing knowledge to our faith. Okay, now let's look at the next one. Let's look at temperance. The word temperance means self-control. Temperance is self-control. Look at 1 Corinthians 9.25. We'll look at that for one of our verses. 1 Corinthians 9.25 1 Corinthians 9, 25. Okay, I want you to notice two things before we get into the part about temperance. Okay? Is it possible for one person to set up a tent like this? It is. It's harder. It's challenging. It was much easier when May and I worked together and set it up, okay? Let me just make a quick little analogy when it comes to adding to your faith. It is a personal responsibility of yours for you to add to your faith, meaning you've got to take responsibility and set up your own tent. But that doesn't mean you don't need help. That's what a church does. We help each other construct our lives of faith. Isn't that good? You're not alone. Guys, listen, when Satan tries to tell you you're alone, you're doing this all by yourself, that's not true. That's not true. That's why God has, God is a genius. And I, sound, I know that's kind of like an understatement, but just for the sake of illustrating, God is a genius in the sense where when he tells us to set up our tent, he tells us to set up our faith, he gives us a group, he gives us a church, and we all do this together. We, every time you come to church, you are helping someone else's faith. And every time you come to church, someone else helps your faith. 
So it's a personal responsibility, but you don't have to do it alone. Okay? All right. So temperance. Temperance is self-control. Okay? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9 and 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. God wants us in our faith. He wants us to add temperance. He wants us to add self-control. He wants us to add godly and holy self-discipline. There are certain things that God says, do not ever do that, okay? And in other cases, he says, you can only do that thing in this particular way, okay? For example, murder. Don't murder people, right? I mean, that's an easy one, okay? We're going to practice self-control and we're not going to murder people. That's an extreme example, right? For something that we just don't do. Then in other cases, God talks about immorality, right? He talks about adultery and fornication. Now, sex itself is not wrong. God just created it for marriage, right? And let's take a look at that. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1. Now, the world does not say this. The world says, oh, it's a natural thing. You can do whatever. If it feels natural, go ahead and do it. It's fine. Everything's fantastic. Matter of fact, they even go so far as to say, if you try to repress or stop yourself from sexual desire, then that that will mess up your head. You will be be bad, right? It'll, It'll make your life so much worse. God doesn't say that. God says, no, no. This particular desire is to be within a certain sphere. It's supposed to be within marriage. And inside of marriage, right, it's completely fine. That desire is to be controlled within that, okay? It's not meaning uh, God ne- God's the one that invented sex. He did not have to make it pleasurable, right? But he did. And it's supposed to be enjoyed in marriage. So when we go so and say, well, temperance means you are never supposed to enjoy any kind of sexual pleasure at all, ever. Well, if people obeyed that, then the population of the earth would die out and everyone would be dead. Right? Are we okay? Okay? Um, But then on the other side, if we say, well, everything's okay, marriage doesn't matter, everything's fine, go ahead and do whatever whatever urge the world uses, that, that term. Whatever pops into your head, whatever that, whatever uh, pops into your head, then it's fine. Go, go do that. Okay. Well, for the Christian, that's sin. And for the Christian, that's not living a temperate life. So again, if I'm trying to live the life of faith, but I'm not practicing self-control, um, my, my, it's not, it's, it's not going to be pleasing to the Lord, but it's not going to do me any good at all. Right? It's like, uh, a tent that's just flat. Oh, but I'm, but I'm really digging hard into knowledge and I'm reading my Bible a lot, but then over here, I'm not practicing self-control whatsoever. Okay? So we've got to understand that we have to add to our faith and this is one of those things 
that God wants us to add to. All right. So let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. And verse number three says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Okay, sanctification meaning your holiness. All right, your sanctification meaning you're set apart. Right, I think of sanctification as like a sterilization. Right, it's sterilized for a particular purpose. Okay, you walk into a doctor's office and you need a a particular procedure done. They've got those beautiful uh, metal uh, instruments right? The surgical instruments and they've been sterilized. Why? Because they're meant for a particular purpose. You go to the dentist. Now everybody, nobody likes to go to the dentist, right? Not really. It's not fun, but open up, right? They start digging away like the worst sound in the world is that weird little, the cleaner thing that they use. Right, but, but you're looking at these instruments and they've been sterilized. They're clean, meaning they've been used before. They're not brand new every time. That would be expensive to just throw them away. But every time they're used, they're gone. They, they take them and they, and they sterilize them. They make them extremely clean. They kill all the germs off them. That's the idea of sanctification. God is sterilizing us. He's changing us. He's making us holy. He's setting us aside for a particular purpose, his purpose. All right, so he goes on to say, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. As Christians, we have to accept that. God's plan, God's will. I want to know God's will for my life, people say. Okay, good. You know what his will is? For you to be sanctified, for you to be set apart, for you to practice temperance, self-control. We'll talk about some areas here in just a moment. It says, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now, fornication is sexual activity outside of marriage. Okay? Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. We need to know how to possess our vessel, meaning we need to know how to control our body. Our body is a vessel the vessel of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and God wants us to know how to possess our vessel or control it, right? Uh, a car, a vehicle uh, is just a machine. It really depends on who's driving it. And when you're going down the road, you're really trusting that all the other drivers know how to possess their vessel, right? Or they know how to control their machine, right? What does God expect of every Christian? As we grow in grace, but grow in grace. He doesn't just want us to grow in knowledge. That's really important. Okay? If we're not going to grow in knowledge, if we say, I'm not going to grow in knowledge, but I'm going to grow in sanctification, or I'm going to grow in temperance. It doesn't work that way. They all depend on each other. We're all growing these things together. We can't say no to one area. I'm just going to grow in knowledge and in temperance. I'm, I'm going to have self-control. I'm going to grow in knowledge. But uh, you know what? I'm really not going to practice. I'm not going to have virtue. That doesn't make sense because temperance is virtue, right? You see how they start to kind of interweave in each other? They start to kind of hold each other up and they all kind of make the whole thing work together. It says in verse 5, not in the lust. Lust is the Bible word for strong desire. 
Sometimes it means sexual desire, but it's just the general word for strong desire. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Concupiscence is an old English word. It's a big word, okay, that means unbridled lust. Unbridled. What does unbridled mean? Unbridled means like a wild horse, right? There's no bridle. There's nothing controlling it. Nothing saying, whoa. Listen, for the Christian in every area of our life, we need to practice temperance. It is an indication that we are saved, that we have a desire to, and we pursue this idea of self-control. And this particular passage is talking about sexual desire. We're not supposed to be like the Gentiles or the unsaved, it says. In the unsaved world, whatever. Whatever. For the Christian, it's not whatever. What happens if I say, you know what? In the area of temperance, I'm not going to practice self-control. Whatever. My tent starts to kind of look like that. I know I'm supposed to be virtuous. I know about these things and I'm supposed to do them. Faith without works is dead. And there's one particular area of temperance, self-control. No, I'm not going to do it. Okay, so there goes, there goes virtue as well. Pastor? Faith doesn't seem to be working for me. Let me ask you about your temperance. Oh, I, 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 I our vessel, which is our body. It's something I need to, listen, listen. It's something I need to grow in. You talk to somebody who is addicted to whatever it may be, some kind of a substance, pornography, uh, gambling, whatever it may be. Uh, it's, it's, It's not just stop it. Well, stop it doesn't work. It's more complicated than that. It's something you need to learn how to grow in. And that's something that we can talk about and I can help you with. It's not the purpose of this sermon to go through how to break an addiction. But through God's grace, it absolutely can be done. Or else why would he tell us you know how to, you need to know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. He wouldn't tell us if it couldn't be done. It can be done. And he, there is grace for that. Praise God. You know, just, just, just another couple of things we can mention. Just the use of devices. These things are so addictive. I mean, you just sit, you just sit alone and quiet for three minutes and you think you're going to go crazy. Everybody's always walking around with the buds in. Oh, brother, is that a sin? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying if you love God, you throw away all your earbuds. I'm not going to, that's not Bible. But we need to practice temperance. We need to practice self-control. We need to understand that we may have a problem. Right? Binge watching. 
Oh, pastor's preaching against TV. No, I'm not. I'm preaching for temperance. I'm preaching for temperance. We need to have self-control. Some people, they gossip. They see, they see something on, on Instagram or on Facebook or on TikTok. They've got to comment. They have to. And it's not kindness. It's not, hey, good job, thumbs up, smiley face. Uh, the desire to always have to say something negative and to cut somebody else down. Temperance. Temperance in your, in your speech. Let's look at James. Now we read the verses in 1 first, in first Corinthians 9.25. It says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. That verse that we read a moment ago, turn, turn, turn your, go ahead and turn your Bibles to James. It's talking about the idea of, a, of an athlete. Man, I'll tell you what, professional athletes, what are they temperate in? Everything. You talk about somebody that wants to be a professional athlete or someone that wants to go to the Olympics. What do they practice self-control in? Everything. They practice it in everything. Sleep, they've got little trackers so they know how much sleep they've had. How much sleep have you had this week? They can tell you exactly. Ten and a half hours, help us all. Good for you. How many calories have you had this week? They can tell you. What have you eaten? They can name off every single meal. How many snacks? No snacks. Only these snacks. How much sodium does that snack have? They can tell you. Right? How much sugar? We don't have sugar. We're professional athletes. Good for you. That's fantastic. What are, what are they describing? They're describing self-control. Why are they describing a life of self-control? Because they want to win the goal. The gold medal or the championship or whatever it is. Basketball players, football players, hockey players. They're, they're so temperate. They've got so much self-control in so many areas of their life. Right? And it's even written into their contract sometimes. You have to eat the food we give you, right? These big clubs over in England, the soccer clubs. Man, they, 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 they give them everything. It's like they're at kids camp for the rest of their life. Except they're getting paid millions of pounds. Right? Temperate. We want to win. And we've got to, we have got to have a control on everything. Well, what about the Christian? For faith to work for us, we think that we can just say, yeah, whatever. No, 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 it's not a yeah, whatever. Oh, I don't do that. You need to learn how to do that. Do you read your Bible? I don't really read. You need to practice self-control in that area and learn to discipline yourself to read. Uh, what about self, what, what about church attendance? I'm talking to people that normally come. So this is an easy one to say, right? In the habit. This is something we can all grow in. Oh, pastor, you're scolding us. No, no, no. We're talking about making faith work. We've got to understand this is an aspect of faith. Self-control. Oh, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of Sunday and it's going to be, you know, it's either in Toronto, it's either a day like today where it's cloudy and sleepy. Amen. Cloudy and sleepy, which is six months out of the year. 
maybe seven. The other months, it's beautiful and sunny. Let's go for a jog. Praise the Lord, go for a jog, but go in the afternoon. Right? On Sunday morning, let's jog to church. Practicing self-control. Oh, pastor, you know, I've just had some problems with faith. It doesn't seem, God seems so distant. It doesn't seem so real. And, and some people even go so far as to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to try all the churches in town. I'm trying to find, I'm going to try to find that zine. I'm trying to find that life. Well, how about we practice some self-discipline? How about we practice some temperance? I'm going to decide by God's grace, I'm going to live a life of temperance. Why? Listen, because that is how faith works. That's how faith works. Because if we reject faith, we can be saved, guys. Listen, let me show you something real quick. We'll get to James in just a second. I pop this one out and this one. I'm not going to do any of it. Not going to do any of it. I know I'm saved, but I'm not really going to practice any of it. Now, can you lose your salvation? Is that possible to sin and lose your salvation? Absolutely not. Otherwise, in the Bible, why is it called eternal life? Why is it called everlasting life? Right? Okay? Christ would have to die on the cross all over again for me to get resaved. And that's a whole other discussion. So I've got faith, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing any of the things. I'm not adding to my faith, but I still have it because I'm saved. So this is me going through life. I'm dragging my faith around. What kind of life is that? I've got the Holy Spirit telling me inside, hey, you're not doing right. I've got a little bit of knowledge from before, but I've got all these strong desires to go. And I'm living in defeat. I'm living in depression. I'm, I'm, I'm living this, this substandard life, this tormented life. If I'm not adding to my faith, I'm just dragging my faith. Right? James chapter 3. It talks about a difficult one here. James 3, look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and is set on fire. The course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the father. Therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. And the whole chapter goes on and continues. Temperance, temperance in the tongue, self-control in the tongue. We could talk about so many different areas. Every single area of our life, we could talk about temperance. Temperance. Are you growing in that? Are you open to God helping you grow in that? I read a story recently where they said a Christian young man every day prayed for chastity or he prayed for purity, sexual purity. But at the same time in his heart, he secretly hoped God wouldn't answer his prayer, right? And it's like, that is a part of the flesh where, God, I want to be self-controlled in this area, but at the same time, my flesh just wants to kind of let it go. Listen, 
If we're going to please the Lord, if we're going to grow in our faith, we need to add to our faith virtue, knowledge, and temperance. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.